Hey, everybody, welcome to the Daily Objective. And we're going to be talking about the Oxford Union speech by Constantine Kissin, who uh, many of you in England probably know who that is. Uh, I learned about him now because, you know, I live here in America. Also uh, joining us from America, we've got a guy who, I mean, I've casted him in so many roles. This guy could live off of just the roles that I've casted him in. Maybe he could someday play Mr. Constantine, Mark Pellegrino. I'd rather play Constantine than Steve Bannon. Thank you. Oh, okay. I thought gaining a bunch of weight would be a fun thing to have to do for your work. But um, at the end of the day, we stay in shape and we get in shape selfishly. So very good. You passed the Ooh. test. And there he goes flexing on us. And also uh, in the flexing corner, we've got a guy who works out quite hard himself. But I'm uh, catching up over here in this hemisphere. So look out. It's Nikos Sotirakopoulos. So this, hi Raga, hi, hi everyone. So this video by Constantine Kissin, it's a video where he addresses Oxford Union. Oxford Union is a, is a debate where you have one team on the one side and another team on the other side supporting a, a position or opposing a position. It's very formal and each one goes to the stand and has something like 10 minutes. Now, the discussion here is whether woke culture has gone too far, something like that. Why are we interested in this video? This video became viral. If you add all the platforms, it has way more than 10 million views. Somewhere I saw it has closer to 20 million views. So what we are trying to figure out today is what did Constantine Kissin, who is the pro, who is the speaker who went viral, what did he do so well? And an argument that we've heard a million times that woke culture has gone too far. This time hit a chord and so many people found it appealing. So just for the background, Constantine Kissing is a comedian and he's running a, a podcast and a YouTube channel called Trigernometry. He's based in the UK. People who are close to the, let's say, the, the free speech uh, milieu in the UK probably know him. He's a regular in the battle of ideas. So he's in that kind of circles. Someone who is pro-free speech from a humanist and a pro-freedom pro point of view. I've heard a trigonometry podcast. Yeah, so Yaron was you. there some oh. time ago. And uh, I think he should be back at some point not so in the not so distant future. And that was where the podcast on which Sam Harris made some unfortunate remarks about uh, how how little he cared about or how much he would have been fine with suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story. So it's yeah. quite a controversial podcast. Well, I didn't know one, we one thing, though, and the hosts to their credit afterwards said, we're really sorry that this is what this discussion became a viral for. So their point is not to destroy anyone. Their point is to have a good discussion. So let's go to. Uh, I've chosen some clips from that talk. We're not going to watch the whole talk, although people can should go and watch it. And we're going to see what did he do so well, or maybe what was his strategy and what worked and what didn't work for this video to hit an nerve and to become viral. Let's go, producer. Now, I want to talk to those of you who are woke and who are open to rational argument. A small minority, I accept. Because one of the tenets of wokeness is, of course, that your feelings matter more than the truth. But I believe in you. I believe there are those of you here who are woke, who are open to rational arguments. So let me make one. 
Okay, so this is this is not literally his introduction. Here is where he's trying to build a bridge with the other side. This is my least favorite. So all my comments from here on will be positive. This is only the one part that I didn't like too much. I think when you want to bridge a bridge with the other side, you don't start by saying uh, most of you are about feelings and not facts. But keep in mind that he's part of the opposing team, so he has to establish some credentials. But this is a clever tactic that I'm going to talk to the better people of the other side. So those of you who have something that you're open to communication, I want to talk to you. So the rest of his talk, he's going to address op directly the, the other side. So this sets the tone of what is to follow. Any comments from the gentleman? Yeah, well, I my negative comments to the extent that I have them on this talk are going to come actually later. I don't think this is a bad thing to set the template, uh, if if you will, to to set the sides as one side is emotionalist, another side is attempting to appeal to reason, and they're going to appeal to those within the emotionalist camp who still think reason is a standard for evaluating reality. I think that's great. It sets an epistemological standard, um, and it highlights what is wrong with woke. Ism. I mean, the problem with wokeism is not that it that highlights certain groups who are who are um, affected by power and dominant social hierarchies, because in in fact those things do exist. It's that they it's that they measure dominance, oppression, uh, and oppression by feelings as opposed to actual facts, and and that's something that I think if you took out of that movement, you'd have a much more moral movement than you have today. So he's highlighting something that I think is fundamentally wrong with wokeism. I agree with both of you. It's uh, not not a very uh, diplomatic way to start speaking to the people you're hoping to convince, but everything Mark said is true as well. So there it is. Everyone Let can be proceed. right. Wokeism 101. Let us proceed. We are told that your generation cares more than any other about one issue in particular. And that issue is climate change. We're told that many of you suffer from climate anxiety. You wish to save the planet. And for tonight, and tonight only, I will join you. I will join you in worshipping at the feet of St. Greta of climate change. <laughs> Let us all accept right here, right now, that we are living through a climate emergency and our stocks of polar bears are running extremely low. I join you in this view. I truly do. Now, what are we to do about this huge problem facing humanity? What can we in Britain do? We can only do one thing. You know why? This country is responsible for 2% of global carbon emissions, which means that if Britain was to sink into the sea right now, it would make absolutely no difference to the issue of climate change. You know why? Because the future of the climate is going to be decided in Asia and in Latin America by poor people who couldn't give a shit about saving the planet. Okay, so what he's doing here, instead of starts ranting about woke in every possible way that you can attack, quote, wokeness, he focuses on one topic, so he's delimiting. So the topic is way too vague. Wokeness has gone too far. And it's very easy to come up with a run that's going to be forgettable. So he's focusing on one thing. And then he does two things. The first is he gives you the facts. He gives you that we in this country, that you've heard all that stuff, we are responsible only for this little percentage. And then he does something even more 
effective, which is he gives a very colorful, how to put it, concretization of what he wants to say. He said, even if we sink, even if we disappear, the change that it is going to make in the front of climate change is going to be minuscule. So he starts by saying, there's something else going on here. You're so fanatical about this topic, but this fanaticism makes very little sense. And again, you have to find the right words when you try to make an impression. So I found this very easy. He didn't just say, we don't emit much. He said, even if we sink tomorrow, then emissions are only going to go down by that percent. So he has his facts, but besides his facts, he has a way to present them that sticks to your mind. You can almost see the UK sinking and then emissions in the world not being changed much. Yes, it's very colorful language. It's it's very illustrative. It shows us exactly what he's thinking. Great concrete examples that put us right in the moment. We're almost perceiving these things. And so it makes it very immediate for us. Yes, he's communicating very well and starting to edge into territory that I think will start to uh, take the moral high ground from the woke movement because he's starting to show that the things they also seem to care about poor people, for example, the disadvantaged, the oppressed, are, are the most affected by the policies that they're advocating. Yeah, and the people who want to, uh, you know, you know, address climate change by minimizing the human footprint and all of that, they rightfully see the United Kingdom as the fountainhead of industrialization around the world. So even if the UK is hardly emitting anything, it is the influence of the UK ultimately on the rest of the world that industrialized them. And that's what really pisses these uh, environmentalists off at the end of the day, more than they care about any particular species or you know, great grandchild of theirs. Good, let's go to clip number three, please. I come from Russia, which is not a poor country, it's a middle-income country. 20% of households in Russia do not have an indoor toilet. What they have is an outdoor toilet. And I don't mean one of those nice port that we get here. I don't even mean a Glastonbury port <laughs> I mean a wooden shack with a hole in the ground that holds a collected fermented memory of the last 10,000 visits. <laughs> How many of you are gonna go home tonight and say, let's rip out our bathroom and erect a Siberian shithouse in the back garden? <laughs> and if you're not, why should they? So again, it's very easy to say, well, many people are poor. We've heard that a million times, but he doesn't just say that. He makes you, he makes you see it. He says, this, th there's X amount of people, 20% 20, 20 of the people don't even have a toilet. And although he's talking about the most serious and grave thing, again, <coughs> the guy's a comedian, he doesn't lose his humor. So we follow him on the one, on the one moment we're grasped, oh my God, and on the other moment, we're also enjoying the, the, what he's saying. We, we keep our attention. So he's very, very good. Notice the difference. Some people are poor versus some people are so poor that they have to go outside and they sit on the ground. And we're not talking about the third world country. We're talking about Russia. So excellent way to make the point. Yeah, I mean, it brings a whole world of abstractions right into the immediate moment. And it also, I think it also helps people to see that 
um, you know, these things that we take for granted in the first world are, are things that other people almost, almost uh, the entire rest of the world cannot take for granted because they don't have the amenities that we have, which are relatively new even in the United States of America. So I think it's a way of waking up woke culture to history and to, and to other cultures around them that have far less than they do. Absolutely right. Um, and it, it, it sort of emphasizes the contrast between like people's philosophy versus their concrete life and what matters to them. So, I mean, it, I don't think uh, the environmentalists would lose any sleep if you if you told them, you know, Africans are going to continue to uh, poop in the woods. Um, but that but the difference between having a bathroom and not could very well matter, uh, you know, to the environmentalists themselves in their own life. They, but they, uh, they think, well, life is more benign before we knew about a toilet. You know, life was better anyway, and we've been corrupted, and you know, the, let the noble savages uh, stagnate. They say. Clip number four, please. Imagine you're Xi Jinping, the leader of China. When you were ten years old, there was a revolution a cultural revolution in your country. And people came and they put your father in prison. Your mother had to denounce him. Your sister killed herself. And you, no longer enjoying the protection of your formerly powerful father, were sent to a village where you lived in a cave house. And here you are, decades later, you have clawed your way up the bloody and greasy pole of Chinese politics to be the undisputed supreme leader of the very Communist Party that destroyed your family. And you know that the main thing you have to do to survive and to stay in power is to deliver the one thing that the people of China want, prosperity, economic growth. Where do you think climate change ranks on Xi Jinping's list of priorities? So what is he doing here? He's personalizing the argument. There's this famous, mostly fake quote by Stalin, who, who says one death is a tragedy, one million deaths is a statistic. Here he does the opposite. It's one thing to say, well, most Chinese don't really care about climate change. Here he personifies it. And he creates this little story, which lasts only for something like 10 seconds, but we follow it. He talks about the leader of China how during the Cultural Revolution he lost everything. And this man today finds himself in a position where his life and the lives of billions depends on whether he will deliver uh, prosperity in China. And he knows that to do that, he has to leave aside any environmental or most of environmental concerns. So again, he makes a point, not by just telling you, all oh, the Chinese don't really care. He concretizes. You see a person, it's like you see a movie, you see the flashback in time, you see him in the village scared, and then fast forward, the most one of the most powerful men on, on earth. And now you realize, yeah, these people will never in the foreseeable future care about things like climate change. So what an effective way. And also the effective way of delivery. Notice when he says he clawed himself on power. So he's also a good public speaker in terms of he changes his tones, he makes all these gestures. So it, I become more and more and more invested in this speech as it goes on. 
He clawed his way up the bloody, greasy pole. By the way, it's 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 ex it's extremely sensual. It, it it brings you right into the immediate moment. Yes, he's a very very good communicator. He understands that people follow narratives; they don't follow abstractions. So he's creating a narrative right now, which is going to show that the climate ideology pits itself against human life. It's anti-human, and it's more. And there is no, there are no other places in the world but the third world basically in the emerging uh world where this is more demonstrably clear when people are really fighting for their survival and need power and energy to be able to do that i had mixed feelings uh, listening to that part because obviously the, the chinese communists had no problem letting many many millions of people starve so um <coughs> I mean, he's making a great point that, like, don't don't expect the Chinese to uh, to go along with this. But at the same time, um, something about it rubbed me the wrong way. I'm still struggling to articulate. You know, Xi Jinping isn't really concerned about the people getting uh, getting food and and energy. He's more concerned about Chinese dominance, and he's he's more concerned about cornering markets and and making the Chinese Communist Party the most powerful party in the world and getting everybody to embrace that ideology. And I think that's probably where he's at more than actually, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think our friend here is denying that. I think he's just saying he has to do this as a pragmatic political step. So he's going to care less about the environment because pragmatically to keep his PS to keep his people relatively prosperous in order for them not to overthrow him. And he makes clear that this is a matter of survival because of the power game. So it's not that Jim does this out of the of the kindness of his heart. Yeah. Let us I, know. I, oh, yeah. Go on, Raga. Just, yeah, I, I agree with the point he was making. I guess, you know, it felt a little like he was trivializing uh, what kind of what's what else is wrong with with communism. But obviously, you can only you can only talk about one problem at a time. You can't, you know, it would be confusing and bad oratory uh, skills to 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 muddle, muddle, muddy that waters anyway. And he has only 10 minutes anyway, so. Okay, and well, let's they go did, now they to did, they did offer him an extension a number of times, but that's not the point. I'm just you know. I think what they're offering is mm -hmm. so usually in Oxford Union you get you can get a reply from the audience, but you decline it. Most people yeah. do. Oh, anyway, gotcha. let's that's what let's go was. now okay. to one of the most powerful parts, which is the last clip that we that we have. A third of all children who live in extreme poverty in the world live in India. That means they are starving and dying of preventable disease. Now, about 15 months ago, my wife got pregnant. Not me, because we're old school. <laughs> and for nine months, we talked about what our boy would look like, what he might do when he grows up. We looked at baby scans and videos on YouTube about what the fetus looks like at nine months and 12 months and 20 months. And eventually he was born. And he is this cute little bundle of joy. He's cuter than about 80% of puppies. Right? <laughs> now, if you said to me that I had a choice, either my son had a serious risk of starving or dying from a preventable disease in the next year, or I could press a button and he would live. He would go to school. He would bring his first girlfriend home. He'd go to university and graduate and become a woke idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and then he'd get a job and get married and have children and become a man. But all I have to do is press this button. And for every day of my son's life, a giant plume of CO2 is going to re get released into the atmosphere. Now, you're all very young, and most of you are not parents. Let me tell you something. There is not a parent in the world who would not smash that button so hard their hand bled. And that's, that's I think, is the, is the peak of his talk, and that's where he got a huge, uh, a huge applause. It's not the end of the talk. He ends on his summer, but this is for me the strongest point. So what is he doing there? He's doing two things. The first is, particularly when you have a hostile audience, a good idea to do is start with something that will make you, that will invest in your common humanity. Actually, I would start with something like that if I were to speak to leftists. Talk about something that we, we would both be interested in. Because again, his aim is to reach to the other side. And to reach to the other side, you have to find something which you have in common. So that's the one thing he does. He, pers he, he makes a personal appeal. And also, he evokes some sympathy because everyone feels this parental, that, 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 that this is something cute, something sweet, this is something very humane. The other thing is, again, notice. He doesn't just say, my point is about human flourishing. We've heard that a million times. What he does is he concretizes human flourishing. We were watching the scan. We will see him grow. We'll see him becoming, we'll see him getting married, introducing some joke to lighten it up because you almost get teary-eyed during that uh, process. So he does he doesn't he doesn't just talk about the human life. He makes you see it. Again, it's like you watch a, a, a film in fast forward. Remember that scene in La La Land where the whole relationship starts flowing in front of their eyes with some nice music, something like that. I sensed, I, I felt while I watched this part, I could see the whole process. So what a great point. So two things, he bridges to the other side by investing in their common humanity. And number two, again, he concretizes his point with something which is very vivid and something you can almost see it and you can almost touch it. I think I think this touches on something that uh, almost any actor can understand. <clears throat> the most personal is the most universal. So he personalizes his own his own feeling and sense of of uh, of parenthood and illustrates it to the rest of the world. And that is universal. It's something that anybody with any sense of um, decency or any connection to the human race could understand fully and should make them check their premises if they are these uh, climate catastrophists that are out there. Well, um, this was, I think, not the best segment uh, when it comes to uh, persuading the other side. So it's kind of pandery to his own side for him to say, my wife got pregnant, not me because we're old school. Ha 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 ha. Good one. Post that on Facebook and I'm sure you'll get some likes from your conservative relatives. But that is not a way to uh, that. That is obviously, um, you know, that's uh, what is it? What's the word trivializing? It's um, alienating people who might have an opinion on trans issues who uh, was otherwise receptive to this guy's arguments. That's one thing that I thought was funny, but kind of not very effective. Uh, I, mean, I shouldn't say funny. It was, you know, it was OK, but not very effective in, as far as persuading the other side. Another way this doesn't really persuade the other side is that they would say 
your son and everyone else's kids are not going to grow up and live good lives if we don't address climate change right now the way that we're agitating for. So I, I don't see. So he kind of leaves a big sort of um, um, like missing link there or like a big blank space that doesn't really tell us like, well, he does actually get to it later about alternative energy, but but he doesn't like he just kind of says, like, even if it does send a bunch of stuff into the into the atmosphere. So what? You love your kid more than you care about the world. It's like I, I thought it was uh, not very persuasive um, to, to the people he says he's trying to convince you and I, you and I, I don't I think he's the people he's trying to convince are the are the woke folks who are still rational. The folks folks who are not will not be convinced. They'll be offended by his use of satire and irony um uh, other people understand that hey the left uses those tools all the time to uh to lampoon the right it's actually a very effective tool for disarming your adversary um and those people aren't going to be convinced anyway it's the rational people who are going to be convinced and sometimes satire can convince them they can see the absurdity of their idea through the satire this absurdity of the ideas that they're holding and that can be sort of a game changer for some folks um, you're right that he sort of presses on the on the idea of this sort of insulated self-interest that it doesn't necessarily incorporate the rest of the world, but we'll see how that plays out later on. Actually, we won't because we only have these highlights. We don't have the whole speech. So oh. I'm I'm with Raka on the fact that I didn't really like the anti-woke uh, jokes. Of course, he's a comedian. He needs to throw some some jokes but here's well unfortunately hold, hold that thought what you do get when comedians get really really into promoting a political view is you do you you do get cringy hacky jokes sooner or later you know that are pandering to the dumbest elements around us and we, we've seen that steven crowder i think i think once upon a time is a comedian dave rubin i don't even know if there's any trace of a comedian left it's just pandering non-stop to the most excitable people uh, but now, now, now this guy I like a lot more, you know, he's he's nowhere close to that. But that is what you get. You get like, oh, a man getting pregnant. <laughs> it's, it's no, it's, I, I, it, I get it. I get it. But let me say one one thing in what he's trying to do. And I've heard this from Yaron. In one talk, you can never hope to change someone's mind. Yeah. So there is no time to persuade them that all will be good with climate change. The one thing you have a chance to do in a talk is 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 plant in them the seed that mm, maybe the other side are not monsters maybe there is some credibility in the other side so this is what he's trying to do and i think he managed to do it so to sum up before we go to to the super chats, the three things he does is he delimits he focuses on one thing so that he has time to attack it he concretizes with his great examples the toilet the Chinese leader and the story of his kids. And also he personalizes this. He, he makes you see people and not abstract ideas. And the, the way that you leave a sensation is by saying something in a way that people remember it. Think about memorable speeches in history. Do you think people in the 60s did not know that racism was bad? Of course they knew. But when Mal uh, when Dr. King said, I have a dream, it clicked for more people. I don't think there's a single person who watched this speech. Said, oh, okay, now I realize that racism is good. But the people who were, mm, okay, I get it. But suddenly it clicked that, oh, I have to do something. This is something worth fighting for. So this is, uh, this is what, uh, these are my takeaways. Again, I will be watching this speech 
many times because we have to remember these things. There's always a better way to deliver a message. And this is also something that we, uh, people who are activists in the objectivist movement, we need to take it on board. There's a lot I liked about the speech, by the way. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of uh, pointing out a couple things that I thought were weak. Like, um, well, he's, so he does ultimately say in a, in a clip we're not going to show that the solution is alternative energy that's Production. cleaner and, and cheaner, cheaper, right? So I'm not sure if that, if he's on board with the, you know, replace fossil fuels uh, perspective. So it, there's a lot of ambiguity, but overall, I mean, he does, uh, you know, he does say a lot of uh, good stuff to kind of uh, tame the completely unhinged elements of the environmentalist cause. Super chat time or? Super chat All time, right. indeed. Marilyn with $3. Thank you for that. Jonathan Honig with two ninety nine. Wow, you're going to let Marilyn uh, beat you at, in the super chat game like that? Then Marilyn, as if that wasn't enough, with one forty nine, And then Marilyn with five more dollars says... He's also alluding to Disraeli's line about climbing to the top of the greasy pole. Is Disraeli a like a, a writer who used that phrase? A politician. Okay. Uh, he was a British politician of the early type of British conservatism, hoping I'm not saying something completely stupid about his political allegiance. And free trade with 50 Swedish kronas says the moral case for a fossil future. Echoes of Alex Epstein delivered with humor and emotion. Yeah, by the way, Alex Epstein is also a master in making good examples. So when I say don't, he didn't just say human flourishing. I'm not referring to Alex Epstein because Alex always tries to use good example. I'm talking to many other people, the rest of us who quite often we think that because something makes sense to us, if we just throw that slogan, people would say immediately, oh, I see your point and I'm rushing to the barricades to be with you. It doesn't work like that. I think uh, Constantine's speech could have benefited from uh, Epstein sort of editing it for him, you know, with him, uh, helping him with a couple points that he could make better. So word well, to the to the anti-woke, anti-environmentalist folks out there. Go ahead, Mark. Contemporaneously, it's not often pretty, but I thought he was pretty good for a guy speaking off the cuff. He was incredibly good. Okay, are these? I meant, I meant, the, I meant the, the content. Maybe the content could have used some. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if we're done with the super chats, let me say a huge kudos to our producer Daniel because he clipped the clips with only a, a, a short notice of a few of a few hours. Also, the main credit goes to the guy who delivered that speech. So follow him on Twitter. Obviously, you probably already know him. Uh, and on YouTube, the channel is Trigernometry. It has almost half a million subscribers, so they're doing quite they're doing quite well. All right, coming up at 7 p.m. UK time, it's the briefly objective premiere with Mark Pellegrino and Nikos on Thomas Sowell and race. Link in the chat. Wow, it's your big break, guys. Top Wait. three P Pellegrino films right here. Now you know the briefly objective is like a parallel channel where there's like. It's like the Joe Rogan short clips. It's the short clips for ARC UK. It's from past. Uh, it's from past events. Yeah. Uh, highlights. We already have one where we criticize Thomas Sowell, and it has attracted literally thousands of views and many Thomas Sowell fans who claim that we are uh, many many bad uh, things. So this let's let's see if this video is gonna 
change uh, their estimate of us. Let's let And Mary Lean has been a member for nine months and she says Gladstone was the conservative, not Disraeli. Alex's example of babies dying without incubators is excellent. Yep. From uh, from the moral case for fossil fuels. Wait, Disraeli was not a, was not a conservative? Not according to Mary Lean, but Well, he, he was. He was part of the conservative party. I mean, uh, should we schedule a debate? I uh, I still uh, well, Wikipedia st- tells me he was, so I was right. Uh, all right, um, sounds like Marilyn wins by default since Nikos concedes. Um, all right, so 7 p.m. UK time, it's the briefly objective premiere, and then at 9 p.m. UK time, it's HBTV with Harry Binswanger. Topic is get the cops out of medicine. Always with the gripping uh, concretization of stuff, you know, anarchists want to arm the lawyers, you know, get the cops out of medicine. Solid. All right. Thank you all for joining us today. This was the daily objective and uh, join us same time tomorrow. Thanks, Mark and Nikos. Thank you. And goodbye. Peace.